Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter number 30 start a series here tonight on a character by the name of Joseph by the name of Joseph and so that's going to be our focus for the next several weeks Joseph himself amen and with that of course we'll probably weave in some of the story that Joseph is a part of but our main our main purpose is to consider Joseph himself his life his personality his character emotions, how he interacted with other people, so on and so forth. So we're going to give consideration to that for the next several weeks. And then I think there's another little series that's going to be in the middle of that. And then I'll continue on my series after that's over. So see, we're just going to mix things up this year. Joseph, go to the book of Genesis chapter number 30. If you're already there, verse number 22 starting. Bible says, and God remembered Rachel. We all start my time up there. And God remembered Rachel. And God hearkened to her and opened her womb. This has nothing to do with Joseph, but if God hearkened to Rachel, she must have been talking to God. Just side note. And opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son, which the Lord did. Verse 25, and I just want this really for the first little phrase. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go into mine own place and to my country. That's my scripture setting tonight, but we will be over in Genesis 37 as well where the real story of Joseph, the meat of Joseph, starts to unfold. But tonight I want to uh, entitle this simply, Loved, speaking of Joseph, Joseph in mind here, Loved Son, Hated Brother. Joseph was the son that was loved, but the brother that was hated. And I hope that someone will learn something, hopefully before we're said and done here, tonight. God, I come to you this evening. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, for your aid and your help. God, anoint my mind and my lips. God, I've already, Lord, been in preparation of my heart and preparation, Lord Jesus, of material. But God, that really serves of no great, Lord Jesus, purpose if we don't have the wind of your anointing. God, to touch, Lord, and propel forward, Lord Jesus, God, what I've, Lord Jesus, tried to put together here. I pray, Lord, let the unction of the Holy Ghost touch each and every hearer. Help us to learn, God, of this man and, Lord, different traits and attributes, Lord, that we may see in ourselves or how we may learn, God, from him, Lord Jesus. We know, God, it's there to learn from. Lord, your scripture was written for that purpose. God, that we would be there for instruction, for future hope. God, I pray, Lord, help us to apply it to our own lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. In Jesus' name, Joseph. Loved son. Hated brother. Just to kind of get our feet wet a little bit tonight. Of course, the story of Joseph or the majority of the story of Joseph is found in the book of Genesis. We'll be spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis. Uh, But uh, a lot of his story is found there. And whenever we consider the book of Genesis is really made up of uh, four main events and four main characters. There's a lot of people spoken of, but I'm just saying uh, by and large uh, you can hinge all of Genesis on four events and four main characters. The four events, of course, are probably already in your mind a little bit. Number one is creation. Number two is the fall then of mankind. Number three then is the flood that destroyed everything upon the earth. And number four then would be the Tower of Babel and the dispersing of the people after that. It's then right after that we get into four characters that 
the book of Genesis is really, really built around. Number one would be Abraham. Does anybody know what number two might be? Isaac. How about number three? Jacob. And number four? You all, man, I don't know why I'm even teaching this tonight. Would be, would be Joseph, known as the patriarchs. But the story of Joseph, and you, if you've been a Bible reader and have read through the book of Genesis ever, you have discovered this on your own. But the story of Joseph occupies more space in the book of Genesis than any other character in Genesis whatsoever. As a matter of fact, over one quarter of the 50 chapters in the book of Genesis is devoted to the story and the life of Joseph. And so he's a pretty big thing. He's a pretty big deal. I have found out in my uh, life as a pastor or as a student of the word that normally wherever God places emphasis is important. And so if he takes that much time to share out of the life of one man and those many pages and verses, then that's probably pretty important for us to kind of lean in and pay attention to what God may be saying through this life. And for that matter, think about what the Bible would be without the story of Joseph. I mean, sincerely, uh, we, would, we would be at a loss for uh, some things if we didn't have the story of Joseph to turn to and to look at. For instance, just to name a couple of things that we'd be at a loss to have, could you imagine reading could you imagine reading the first book of Exodus and asking yourself, why in the world is the nation of Israel in Egypt anyway? Huh? And, and there arose a king over, over Egypt that knew not Joseph? Well, who's that? So we'd be a little bit at loss. We'd, little, we'd be at a, a loss if we didn't know about the life of Joseph where we would read later in the Bible two particular tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh who seemed to be a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Where did this come from, you know? Uh, how do they play out into this story? But that understanding is given to us because we have the life and the story of Joseph that we can glean those things from. Certainly Joseph, when we consider the story of Joseph, and tonight I'm just kind of an introductory and getting our feet wet, okay? Certainly when we look at the story of Joseph, uh, it is a story what most people would call a story of forgiveness, and that is true. It is a story, by and large, of forgiveness. But there's something else, I believe, that it is a story of. It is a story of constant promotion. It's a story of constant promotion. Repetitively, the phrase reveals the reason, though, for this constant, as it would seem, promotion in Joseph's life. And that is this. The Bible constantly says this, whether Joseph is in uh, a servant, whether he's in prison, wherever he may find himself, as we'll see in the weeks to come, this phrase pops up over and over again. And the Lord was with Joseph. And so it's not just uh, the promotion of some man that's grabbing his own bootstraps and pulling up on him and really making something of himself, but really underneath the surface, it is the idea that there is a Lord that is with him. And his success is because of the success of his God. And his arrival to any place of prestige is as a result of the Lord being with him. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, and I'm reading from the Living Bible, it states this, For promotion and power come from nowhere on earth. I think the King James says it doesn't come from the east or the west, but only from God. He promotes one and exposes another. And so Joseph is the story of how a man excels to the place of an overseer in seemingly every situation of his life, in every setting of his life because of God. That's important. That's very important. And it's important that Joseph realized that. It's important that Joseph realized that. Amen. That his success was because his God was a success. That's important for us to realize that if we, you know, the old saying is if you ever seen a, a, a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. 
Well, if you ever seem to even come close to arriving in life, let me tell you, it's because the Lord was with you. The Lord, the Lord was with you. And so in many regards, Joseph is the story of life. It's the story of life. Amen. As a matter of fact, in many ways, the story of Joseph is in some measures a reenactment of Job's story. And I say that because of this, because it's about times of taking away and times of being added unto. Times of loss and times of gain. The Bible says in our scripture passage tonight that Rachel said whenever she bore that son Joseph, she said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Amen. As a matter of fact, whenever you study Joseph, most people will tell you that Joseph's name means add to or addition. But that's only really half of it. Joseph's name means more than just add to. It has a dual meaning. Amen. Because Rachel also said, whenever she bore that son, God hath taken away my reproach. And Joseph's name doesn't just mean add to, but it also means taker away. Someone say amen. So whenever we look at the life of Joseph, we see this played in his own life. He is constantly going through scenarios where it seems like at one hand things are being taken away, but on another hand things are being added to. I mean, he no sooner becomes a slave, he becomes the head slave. He no sooner becomes in the prison, he becomes the head, the kingpin in the pen is the way that I like to say it. And so he has this adding to and this taking away. It is the meaning of his life. As a matter of fact, the birth of Joseph in Genesis 30, so instrumental, this mic keeps cutting in and out, so instrumental uh, in, in the life of his father Jacob that whenever Joseph is born, verse number 25 tells us that Jacob then desired to go back home to Canaan. He had been in Haran. He had been with Laban. He had been there securing himself, wanting to secure just a wife, but he ended up with two. You want to talk about a deal breaker? Amen. There. <laughs> whenever you're seeking for one and you come home with two, whoo, God help us all. But nevertheless, whenever he was there in Haran, whenever Joseph was born, look what the Bible says in verse number 25, that after that he was born, when Rachel bore Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me now away. And so it's that birth of Joseph that caused that longing in Jacob's heart to return back to home. And what's interesting as we study the story of Joseph, that in reality, it's Joseph and Jacob coming to the understanding that his son that he thought was dead is not dead but was alive, then that even gave Jacob consideration to go down into Egypt. Amen. And that he would eventually, Joseph will honor his father's wish and carry his body back to Canaan for burial. And so Joseph is very important even in the life of his father Jacob, and I suppose he's very important in every life because, again, he represents to us the add-tos and the takeaways of life. And nobody is exempt from the adding-to. Quite frankly, also the taking away in life. We all have peaks and valleys. Uh, life is not lived on a plane. Life is not lived on a plateau. But there's peaks and valleys. There's additions and there are subtractions. And just the moment you think everything that can be taken away has been taken away, all of a sudden something gets added back, amen, even to the life of Joseph that goes beyond what was ever taken from him. Amen. And so while Joseph is here just a, a newly infant in Genesis chapter number 30, whenever you turn over to Genesis 37, Joseph is 17 years old. And the meat of his story, the meat of his life is told from there forward. But in order to understand that, it's important that we look into a little bit more of his background and a little bit more of the setting of Joseph's life to give us a little insight. 
Amen. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. Rachel was, if you'll remember, she was the wife that Jacob had worked for essentially 14 years for. His first seven years, the first seven years, the first seven years that Jacob worked was supposed to have been for Rachel, right? Should have been for Rachel, that one that he loved. But as the Bible story goes, on his wedding day, there was a lady standing before him. The Bible says she was heavily veiled. I think that's the reason why today some people don't even use veils. <laughs> Said, ain't going to happen to me, buddy, I'm telling you right now. But she was, she was heavily veiled, and, and, and they, they, they went to celebrate their marriage. And then another phrase in Scripture says, and in the morning it was Leah. <laughs> He's worked seven years for a Rachel, and he woke up to a Leah. Right? Unbeknownst to Joseph, he even argues with Laban, uh, Rachel and Leah's father. He argues with them because he feels like he's been tricked. He feels like he's been beguiled. But Laban tells him, well, the custom of our land is this, that we don't marry off the younger before we marry off the elder. I'm sure Joseph is thinking it'd been nice to know that seven years ago. It'd been nice. Or Jacob would, would, I'm sorry, it's going to be hard, Brother Mason, with those two to keep them going, Jacob and Joseph straight. Jacob would said it'd been nice if, 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 if I'd known that seven years ago. And so, Jacob, what Jacob's seen here, and I'm, I'm saying this because this makes sense then for Joseph here a little later. Jacob saw nothing more but Leah as a way to Rachel. He loved Rachel. He wanted Rachel. But I can't have Rachel until the elder is married first. And I've been pulled into this shenanigan for Leah has really just been away for him to get to Rachel, the one that he loved. As a matter of fact, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Insomuch in the eyes of God, God spoke of Leah as being hated, as being an enemy, or as being a foe. The Bible says in Genesis 29 and verse 18, and Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. See, there he is, striking the deal with Laban. But then further down in verse number 30 of the same chapter, Genesis 29 and 30, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Why? Because I really love Rachel. I'll work the other seven years just to get her hand. Verse 31, and the Bible says, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, see, through the eyes of God, Leah is hated here, that he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Someone say amen. And so since Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, Leah then wants to bear Jacob children, whereas Rachel cannot. Because she is barren. And so from this whole scenario, a rivalry develops between Rachel and between Leah. Because Rachel knows that Jacob loves her more. But she also knows she's incapable of placing the honor that having a son would place upon her husband. Yet on the other hand, Leah knows my womb's open. I can honor him with several sons and several children. But all the long while doing so, what she's really vying for is the love of her husband that she can't seem to get. So Rachel is envious of Leah because of the children she's bearing. But Leah is envious of Rachel because of the love she secured in the eyes of their husband. And so as the story goes on, this rivalry, man, really gets big because finally whenever Leah can't seem to have any more children, she gives her handmaid to Joseph to have more children. And whenever Rachel 
can't have any children. She hasn't been able to have any children. She gives her handmaiden unto Joseph to have children as well, to bear children, hopefully sons, unto his name. Not only that, at one point in the story, one of Leah's sons by the name of Reuben, the eldest, found he got some mandrakes out there in the field, which was supposed to be good for fertility. And, and, and Rachel starts to strike a deal. She says, you give me those mandrakes, hoping that she'll get fertile from it, if that's the problem, and you can lay with our husband tonight. You see, you see this rivalry that's going on between these two ladies? And so whenever we come to this point in time, whenever Joseph is finally born, and Rachel's womb is finally open, and she gives birth to her first son, it's her first son, but it's the 11th son that Jacob already has to his name. Now, before anybody says shame on Jacob for loving Rachel more, before anybody says shame on him, we need to realize once again that Jacob only wanted to marry Rachel to begin with. Leah has been thrown into the midst without his choice. Jacob felt took advantage of by Laban. He felt beguiled by Laban. So Jacob loved Rachel more because he had hoped to love her alone. Right? Amen. So I said all of this here in the beginning tonight to say this. I believe all of this plays then into the attitudes of what happened between Leah and Rachel. All of this plays into the attitudes of both Joseph's father, Jacob, and his half-brothers in Genesis 37. How each react to Joseph differently because what was played out between the mothers. Are you hearing me? What was played out between the mothers. Because the Bible then tells us with plain language that Joseph loved his son. Well, that son is the son of the woman that he loved. That he only wanted to love. The one he worked when it's all said and done, 14 years for. Right? And so that's the son of the wife that he loved. But the Bible says the brothers hated Joseph. Now let me ask you a question. If you had a mom that was always bad-mouthing another mom, Leah, huh? talking about Rachel. She really thinks she's something. She's loved and all that. And I'm bringing babies. And you grow up under that type of atmosphere. What would be your attitude toward anything that came from that woman? Probably, you know, despise as well. See, there's, there's people today marring other people's images in their eyes of their children, and they've not even been given the benefit of knowing that person themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Jacob loves Joseph. The Bible says in Genesis 37 and verse number 3, Now Israel... That's Jacob. His name was changed. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. They hated Joseph and could not speak peaceably unto him. Again, Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. Amen? That being Jacob's loved wife, Rachel being Jacob's loved wife, probably played into the fact concerning the love that he had for Joseph. But the fact of the matter is, and hopefully we can get to it tonight if I can go quick enough, but I just feel like slow-mo here tonight for some reason, but that's okay. There's something more to the love that Jacob has for Joseph that goes beyond just the simple fact that he was the son of the wife that he loved. You hold on to that, put it in your pocket for a moment. No doubt that probably played into his love he had, but that's not what it was all about. 
for one moment, think concerning Jacob loving this son, Joseph. Imagine what burden was lifted off of Jacob's shoulders and Rachel's shoulders when Joseph was born. I mean, at one time, his wife, Rachel, had looked Jacob into the face and she said to her beloved, give me children or else I die. This is the only time in the Bible we see where Jacob became angry with the woman he loved. And he became angry with her. And it's because she was trying to make him responsible for something that only God could be responsible for. And so he's a little upset at her. But nonetheless, whenever Joseph is born, look at things change now. Whenever Joseph was born, Rachel's happy because she's finally bore her husband a son. And Jacob is happy because his wife's reproach or her barrenness has been taken away. And so this, just, just walk with me, this influences how she feels and what mood she's in. You know, Jacob's going to love any son that can change the, the mood that his wife's in. Now on the, on the back side of marriage, I can say that the marriage counseling you know, that's been given the past few weeks. Any right man in his mind is going to love the child that straightens out his wife's moods. And I say that in jest, of course. Genesis 33, though, in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau came with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaidens. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Hindermost. Joseph's being loved by his father Jacob. Jacob and his family, all these tribes are headed back to Canaan. The Lord has even told them to go, but he's headed back to Canaan. He's a little doubtful. He's a little fearful about what the attitude, what the disposition of his brother Esau is going to be. Because whenever he left home so many years ago, him and Esau did not leave on good terms. Esau, Joseph, or rather Jacob, get them all straight here. Jacob had stolen the, 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 the blessing he had, he had traded for the birthright. And so there was no profound blessing to put up on Esau's life. And so Esau has in his heart hate. He has in his heart revenge. He has in his heart he wants to murder his brother. And so as Jacob is on his way back home, all these things are replaying through his mind. Am I going to be met with, with, with someone that's angry? That's, that's hating me, that doesn't want anything to do with me, that may even want to kill me, or is everything going to be well? And so with that in mind, he's organizing his family. These big bands, he's organizing his family. Look how, look how Jacob loves Joseph. He sets out in front the, the, the handmaidens and their children first. Esau's got 400 men that's coming with him. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. So I'm going to sit the handmaiden wives and their children first. And if anything goes south, and that was a bad deal. After them, he puts Leah and her children. But in the hindmost, the Bible says, he puts Rachel and Joseph. Because if anything did happen, there would surely be enough time, there's enough protective measures put in place, them being in the hindmost, that if anything happened, they have the greatest odds of surviving. If I'm meeting Esau and he has revenge still yet in his heart. Jacob loved Rachel and Jacob loved Joseph. But the Bible says in Genesis 37 and 3, again, look at it, that Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children. That was evident because he was the son of his old age laying all the spousal rivalry aside laying the little you know friction that's between Leah and Rachel aside Jacob loved Joseph more than all the others because he was the son of his old age but what does that exactly mean the son of his old age because at this time in Genesis 37 Benjamin the other son that was born by Rachel and Jacob, Benjamin has already been born. So if it just has to do with the age of his father, Benjamin would have been the son of an older aged Jacob. So 
what's this whole old age thing? He's loving him more because he was the son of his old age. Well, the son of his old age, it, it refers to something beyond just a numerical age of a parent. It is a Hebrew phrase which can mean a wise son. It was a son that was wise. It was one who possessed observation and wisdom above his years. They say it like this. It's an old head on young shoulders. Or something that we all can relate to. It'd be like saying of somebody, they have wisdom beyond their And so Jacob loved Joseph more than all the rest because he had wisdom that was beyond his years. And we pick up this trait, this attribute about Joseph before we ever get to this moment of Genesis 37 and whenever Joseph is at the age of 17. I believe Jacob picked up on this before they ever got to this moment. And look what the Bible says. In that same scenario, when they're meeting Esau and Jacob's wondering about, you know, is he going to be mad or upset? Which he wasn't. Everything was grand and hunky-dory between Esau and Jacob. The Bible says this, continuing Genesis 33 and verse 6. Then the handmaids, they were out front, came near unto Esau. They and their children, and they bowed themselves. Reverence, respect. Verse 7. And Leah also, with her children, came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Anybody pick up on something in those two verses? In each episode, it's as though the mother draws near. And then kind of gathers her children to follow suit of bowing. The mother kind of takes the lead. And then everyone gathers and they bow. But whenever it comes to Rachel and Joseph, it's as though Joseph came. He's young at this age. He's probably at best around six years old. Joseph comes and his mother follows. And they bow before Esau. Now, someone might say, well, that's a six-year-old, Brother McGee. That's probably just some rambunctious, snotty six-year-old. He's just happy to meet anybody, talk to anybody. You know, he just has one of those personalities. If there's somebody that's going to listen, he's going to talk to him. And that's probably what's going on. But whenever he went forward, it's not that he just went forward and said, hey, man, how you doing? You know, fist bump and all this stuff going on. He bowed. And he paid due respect by bowing. Even, look with me, even if he picked up on the reverence from the groups that went ahead of him. That's pretty good for a six-year-old. It's pretty good for a six-year-old. Hey, man, perhaps even at this very young age, he's proving to be a boy, wise, beyond even his years already. And maybe daddy is picking up on this. He's not just loving him because he is the son of Rachel. He's loving him because he's the son of his old age. He is a man that has wisdom. He's seeing develop far beyond his years. We see this trait then. It surfaces again whenever Joseph is 17 years old. All right. And he's in Canaan. Genesis 37 and verse 2. He's 17 years old. He's in Canaan. The Bible says... Genesis 37 and verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their, not his, their evil report. Joseph's in his teen, well into his teenage years. He's 17. He could be graduating from high school. Today's terminology. He's 17 years old. I do not suspect, I hope not, at the age of 17 years old, I do not suspect this is a 17-year-old that's doing some tattling on his brothers. All right? I don't suspect this is the actions of a brat that's been favored by his father. But I attribute it to the purity of a young man for what happens right here in this moment. That he's wise beyond his years. He picks up on these things. But he also has a character and a personality that is pure. Do we not see that later whenever he even refused to lay with Potiphar's wife whenever there was no Ten Commandments? 
You just don't stumble upon that and pull that out of your pocket someday. It's developed. Amen. This is a boy that observed something was, that boys didn't do something right. He's not necessarily tattling, but he wants dad to know the truth of the matter. He is a, he is a proponent for truth. He wants it to be pure. And we see it over and over again, again. And for that matter, he had good reason to take this to dad because before this moment, Simeon and Levi has already went to a city and killed every male in the city. Reuben has already laid with his father's concubine. Are you hearing me? There are these, some of these boys have already done some of these what we would think are just outrageous things. And so Joseph feels like he has every right to let dad know they're up to it again. He's a man of truthfulness. He is a man of purity. And the great matter is this, is that he's carrying this evil report and he's just 17 years old, which tells me this, a person does not have to be old to be godly or pure. That it doesn't matter where you are. You can be a teenager, uh-huh, a preteen, you can be middle-aged, you can be elder, and you can be pure, and you can be godly. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 and 12, this is what Paul was telling Timothy. Timothy's somewhat of a younger man to be involved in the ministry, doing what he's doing, but Paul told Timothy, he said, let no man despise thy youth. He says, but be thou an example of the believers. You know what he's telling him? Be pure. Be godly. Don't let people just kind of shrug off because of the age you are. You can live a respectable life at a young age. If there's ever a message that still needs to be talked about from the church, it's that message in today's society. You can still be respectable at a young age. You don't have to mess up all through your teenage years and then get it together when you're middle age. You can be respectable at a young age and carry it all through your life. We learned that from Joseph. Amen. I have to be that. Well, when I was young, stories. So it appears that Joseph's truthfulness, his purity, his wisdom that's beyond his years, not only fed into the love that his father Jacob had for him, but it sealed the deal. I mean, if Jacob didn't love him before, I mean, he like really loves him now. If he didn't just love him because he was the son of the wife that he loved, then he really loves him now because he has wisdom beyond his years and he's acting in such a way with his character that is well spoken of. All through the Proverbs, the Bible tells us about how a son or a daughter, children that are obedient, children that act rightly, that they are honoring into their parents. You read over and over again about one that does well, how that is, does for their parents, and how one that doesn't, how that does something else for their parents. <laughs> it's a disgrace and so on and so forth and so this is well because this is this is helping Jacob even in his fatherhood now look at this due to this due to this love now that he has for Joseph due to this characteristic of being the son of his old age this purity this truthfulness the Bible says that Jacob made Joseph a coat in our English Bibles it says a coat of many colors I'm about ready to mess with a whole lot of people here today Gonna mess up your Bible stories and everything. It was this coat of many colors? That's what our English Bible reads. But there are two Hebrew phrases. I'm not even gonna attempt to say what they are, Brother Mason. But there are two Hebrew words that make up that one phrase, coat of many colors, as it is in our English Bible. One of the words means this coat, tunic, or robe. The other one means this ankles or wrists there's not one thing in there about color together when you put them together what it conveyed was this a long sleeved coat tunic or robe that went down to the ankles now history says some of those coats were brightly colored but most of them were just white I know I mess with you ain't I but our Bibles were translated by human beings even the King James. All right? Everybody okay? Someone about ready to think I'm about ready to blaspheme around here? I'm not. Go back to the original language. 
Joseph's coat. Now, now, what makes that different? I'll tell you what makes that different. For everybody's like, they saw the love that he had for his father. Bless God, Brother McGee had to have something going on. Well, the normal garment of the working man, like Joseph's brothers, would have been short-sleeved and usually only went down to their knees for the ability to labor and work. So this is different than in the length, both to the ankles and long sleeve. And so look, Joseph's coat was in many respects a garment of praise that Jacob put on his son. Praising him for being that son of the old age with wisdom beyond his years, for being the one that he loved. Jacob, notice, Jacob even doesn't try to hide the greater love that he has for Joseph. The Bible says that his brothers saw it. And in many ways, even by this coat, they saw it. Amen? But here's what they saw. They only saw the coat of many colors, as it's called in our Bibles. They only see the coat as a result of Jacob's love. But the coat goes further than just being because Jacob loved Joseph. Are you watching me? The coat was given to him because the coat he wore was tied to Joseph's character. Uh huh. This garment you have on Joseph, this isn't just a result of love, it's a result of your character. Well, we could talk about a whole lot of things on another tangent right there about how garments can be tied to our character. Write that down so we can look at it later sometime, you know. It's tied to his character. It signified a garment that was long sleeve went down to the feet. It signified rank. It indicated that the wearer was an overseer or a master. It was not the coat of the common labor, again, which was a shorter coat in length and in sleeve length. Those were more suitable for labor, but this coat that Joseph got, it indicated then that Joseph was going to be in a place of preeminence even in his family over his brothers. I'll fast forward and we'll touch it again next week. If you notice, when we read in verse number two, Joseph is there feeding the sheep with his brothers, right? It's after this coat of many colors, as it's called scenario, that later that Jacob sends Joseph out to look for his brothers that's feeding the sheep. What's changed? Where before he was a laborer with the sheep, now because of his character and what daddy pronounced on him, he's not feeding the sheep anymore, but he's going to see what's up with them. So when the brothers saw this coat, this expression of what they would assume would be their father's love, they hated. They hated Joseph. And so we got this sibling rivalry that's going on. Which is somewhat, as I said from the beginning, influenced by their mamas. Because between Leah and Rachel, there had been that jockeying for approval from their husband. And now that's got into the boys. But the reality is this. Whether it was Rachel or whether it was Joseph, Watch it now. Whether it was Rachel, whether it was Joseph. It's not what they did that granted them Jacob's favor. Jacob loved Rachel when she was barren. Jacob loved Rachel when she was barren. He loved her when she could produce a child. Huh? Someone say amen. Jacob loved Joseph. Not for necessarily what he did, but for who he was at the core. Someone just nod your head. Why does that make a difference, Brother McGee? I'll tell you why. Because some people are trying to earn love. Some are trying to earn love. But Joseph, what came to him in his life was because of who he was. But here's the fact of the matter. Your actions do result from who you are. What you do does come from who you are. 
or they wouldn't call the person who burglarizes a burglar. Your actions in part show for who you are. And so the Bible says, nevertheless, whatever the issue to the brothers, it didn't matter. They're all in this game of hate, 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 double hate. <laughs> Holy love. The Bible says they hated them. As a matter of fact, it says that they had the inability to speak peaceably with Joseph. Their daily fare with their brother was argument, fight, the rat race, couldn't say a kind word constantly back and forth between the brothers and between Joseph but here's something very important although Joseph was feeling the heat of the hate of his brother yet he had the love of his father all the heat he was getting from his brothers did not cause him to compromise his purity or his character one iota here's the fact of the matter this is true for sure with godly character and purity and truthfulness it will make you be hated by some and loved by others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll make you be loved by some and be hated by others. Amen. But he ascribes, he ascribes all this concerning Joseph to the wisdom beyond his years, which I believe is the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is spoken of in James 3 and verse number 17 as this. The Bible says this, but the wisdom that is from above is what? First, pure, then, peaceable. You know what Joseph is saying? I know my brothers might hate me, but I am not stepping back and bunting the ball on this purity thing just so that we can be at peace. Because wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable. If they can't accept me on the level of purity, then I'm not going to dumb down to the level of peace in order to sacrifice purity. And see, what we've dealt with in our age is something quite contrary, amen, to a Joseph, pure, truthful, wise man of heaven beyond his years type of scenario. Because too many people, and for that matter, churches today are dumbing down truth for the purpose of peace. But that's not God's word. You keep peace true. You keep it pure. You keep it honorable. It doesn't matter what the naysayers say. Some haters are going to hate and lovers are going to love. There's been too many people sacrifice purity at the altar of peace. <laughs> Christ said, whenever he came on the earth, he said, I came with a sword. So I'm going to cause mother to be against daughter, son against father. He said, I come to cause division. It's hard to deal with, isn't it? You better believe it, honey. It will be goats and sheep. There is, there is no wonder that Joseph gets separated from his brethren. And Christ says that. God says that over and over again through the story of Joseph. He was separated from his brethren. It was just not a physical separation, but there was a spiritual. There was a separation on another plane that took place too because Joseph was not going to sacrifice his purity for peace. He's loved of his father, but he's hated by his brothers. And so you... You got to really dial in and give consideration. Here's something you need to think about. If somewhere along the way, those who so ruthlessly used to hate you now love you, you got to ask yourself the question did they change or did I? That day happens in Joseph's life, but you know what? He could stand flat footed and he'd say, I've not changed, I've stayed the same. So something's happened with them. Stand with me, I'll close. Look at this. I haven't taught in six weeks, and I can get done this quick. I'm telling you, I'm doing good. 
the Lord was with him. <laughs> the Lord was with him. So that the son of the old age, that pure wisdom, that truthful wisdom beyond his years, then was the very thing that nurtured the love of his father Jacob toward him. But it was also that very same thing that exposed the hate that his brothers had toward him. Here's the interesting thing then when we consider Joseph. It will be that purity, it will be that integrity, might I say. There's a word you don't hear much today. It will be the integrity of his life that will bring the blessing and the honor from God upon his life. But it will also be that very same integrity that will make him a target for his true enemies. Hmm? Yeah. You know, it's kind of kind of like the thing you know with Daniel they couldn't they couldn't hinge nothing on him it seemed like in a negative sense but they're going to use his good prayer life against him huh you know Potiphar's wife not going to be able to put anything on the boy being over all of her husband's uh, being the master of the house and over everything he's got she's got to come up with a lie to try to slander the guy here's a parting sentence or phrase I want to get in your minds listen to me because we were kind of talking about you know Joe's talking about his character you know if you'd asked the boys he had a bad reputation if you asked his dad it was a good reputation right you all stand in some of those same positions sometimes even within the community brother Fred there's people who say bad things about your business per chance and there'll be people say good things. We've had people concerning this church and community. They say bad things about this church. People come to me sometimes with that. They're real worried. Brother McGee says, so, 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 what, what should we do? You know, and I said, well, don't get on social media for God's sake. Don't do that. What are we going to do? They're saying all this bad stuff. Let me tell you something. Here you go. You ready? Here's my phrase. I wrote it down. I don't want to get it incorrect. This is the way I wrote it. So this is the way I want to say it. If we protect our character, our reputation will take care of itself. protect your character your reputation does that mean no one will never hate you no but you'll know that your character speaks louder than what people can just see on the outside or what comes from the flim flam of voices you know what you know what begins to happen you someone else says something about fred's body shop and someone else says i know that ain't true and some things you just got to outlive You're going to be the loved son some days and the hated brother other days. But the question is, whenever you're alone with God, can you stand before him and say, I'm a man of character, integrity, I uphold purity and truthfulness. You can go to bed and sleep at night regardless. Let's bow our heads in this place. Oh, God, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.